0: as good a speaker as Cody is, which means that you're going to have to work a little bit harder this morning. So when the speaker brings a little bit less to the table, that doesn't let you off of the hook. That means you actually have to work a little bit harder to bring out of it uh, what it is that you need uh, for this morning. So what, whatever the Lord's going to be doing in your heart, um, then uh, if you will pay attention, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of that particular piece. Now, a casual look at the Ten Commandments... Uh, reflects this idea that there are four of those that affect, that that kind of govern our relationship with God, and then six of those that are kind of about our relationship with others around us, kind of a, a social aspect of that. And all of these commands are restrictive in the sense that they set boundaries. They set limits for things that we can or that we should do and things that we should not do. Um, and so that they, they create these boundaries for us. And while only four of these deal with our relationship with God, um, they uh, actually are about more than about 75% of the content. If you just look at that passage in your Bible or look at that passage in your bulletin, and you, if you just draw a line where that shift is there uh, physically between the, the things where he's talking about God and the part where he's talking about uh, our relationship with each other, you can kind of see how the bulk of this information um, is really about how we relate to God. So clearly that's the focus of what these commandments are pointing to. And this is not just a moral discussion in the sense of where we where we are or where we need to be. It's not just God kind of setting the bar because the things that we think about when we think the Ten Commandments setting the bar for our behavior are really the, you know, don't commit murder and don't commit adultery and, and don't lie and don't steal and those kind of things. And those all fall down in that last little 25%. Um, and so these commandments are really a discussion of who God is uh, in the sense of, Helping us to get some sense of the holiness of God, and I know that's not really the way that we've grown up thinking about the Ten Commandments. It's a list. It's a list of dos and don'ts, uh, and uh, we we start learning about uh, the Ten Commandments at a very early age. If you if you have been involved in church at a young age, uh, they start these in these uh, children's classes, talking about the Ten Commandments, uh, and it and it really it's really kind of drilled into our head as a list, uh, but But I think it's much more than that. I think that's not really everything that God's trying to do as He's kind of interacting with Moses and then through Moses with the the people of Israel. And so, the first big idea that I want to talk about this morning is that this underlying context for the Ten Commandments is really the holiness of God. It's really about trying for us to try to get a grip, a grasp, a concept of this God who is coming down on the mountain and who is there to present himself to Israel at this time. And they, they've heard about him through stories that were passed down really from the time of Abraham, but they've gone through these 400 years in Egypt. They know a lot more about the gods of Egypt than they know about the God who's supposed to be their God. Um, And so how do we relate to a holy God? How do we talk about God's holiness? What does that even mean? I mean, holiness is itself kind of a vague thing out there. And the word literally means to be set apart. Um, uh, And its, its most basic meaning is that God is set apart from us in the sense that he's distinct from us. He's different than we are. There's just not really a lot of correlation between who God is and who we are. I mean, He is all-powerful and all-knowing, and He is all-present. He's eternal. He doesn't have a beginning, and He doesn't have an end. And, and really, the only real connection that we have in common with Him is that in some way, and this is kind of highly debated among scholars, it says that He has created us in His image, and we don't really grasp everything that that means even, except that when God created us, He put a connection with Him in us. Now, we sometimes use the word transcendent to talk about God. And when something transcends something, it's something that goes over it and above it and beyond it. Um, We are created beings who exist below God. In fact, all creation is, in that sense, distinct from God. Everything that we know, everything we experience is distinct from God, because God is the only uncreated being, the only uncreated thing out there. And one of the things that sets God apart is that He is the only God. So the command, have no other gods uh, before me. is not really an admission that there's a competition out there, now, there were, other, there were gods in Egypt, and there were, there were gods in Canaan to the land that they were going. And so there were uh, the, the, the bull god down there and the cow that they worshipped in Egypt among all the other gods. Um, and there was going to be Baal that they're going to encounter and Moloch up in the land of Canaan. But, but there's not really, this is not really, have no other gods before me. It's not, it's not like a political ad campaign, okay? It's not, it's not God saying, vote for me. You know that bail guy. He's not very reputable. You know It's not like a political ad where, where God is trying to leverage himself and say, "I'm really the God that you want to pick." Um, God is alone in this category. There is no other gods. And it just doesn't make any sense to worship one. And the word holy is, is, is applied at a, at a variety of levels when we look at the Old Testament. And so it's not just applied to God himself. It's, it's applied to the, originally they had a, a tent that they called the tabernacle. And they, it, was, it was designed, it was given, God gave Moses instructions on how to build it. And, and they built it and they worshiped God in that place. And so the tent itself, because it was designed for worship for God, that was considered to be holy. And the, the, the furniture in that tent that they carried around, that furniture was considered to be holy because it was set aside for that purpose. Even, even down to the little pans, the brass pans, where they would put the, the coals in there, the fire that they would burn the incense to, that they burned to God, those were set aside. Those were holy unto God. And there was a special place in that tabernacle, a place that, that God had them design that was they called the Holy of Holies. And no one could go in there except for one person, and that was the high priest. And he could only go one time of year uh, during, the, uh, during the Day of Atonement to go in there and to atone, to offer an offering for the sins of Israel. So all of the rules that pertain to things that were holy in the Old Testament I think were designed to help us kind of grasp the concept of holiness to to get this idea of what it meant to be set aside, and so no carved or man made images were to be worshipped. Um, so that's not just a Baal or, or the golden calf or any of those other things. It, but it's even God forbade an image of Himself. Uh, you you can't make something and then say that this is this is God. This is Yahweh. This is the God I am worshiping. And I was thinking about this. You know, I went through a stage uh, earlier uh, in in our marriage where I was I was doing wood carving things, and so uh, we, had a, uh, we had a weenie dog, and so one time I carved this little weenie dog, and uh, I ran across it uh, yesterday. We were doing some stuff and cleaning out a room, and I saw that little carving of that weenie dog there, and I thought, you know, how, how strange it must be uh, for God from his perspective that when we, we carve something or we make something, and then we say, we're going to worship this little thing that we carve. I mean, wouldn't it be ridiculous if I if I set that little little wooden weenie dog up there on the shelf somewhere and said this is this represents Yahweh and so when I see this little weenie dog that I've carved I'm gonna I'm gonna worship it and, and it's gonna remind me of of who God is, but God says no you can't do that because any time that we try to limit God anytime we try to bring him down to something that we have made that we have in some ways measured we're we're bringing God down from his immenseness to something that that really it becomes something that we can try to attempt to control. Because then if I'm walking by and I'm doing something that I don't think I want God to see, what do I do? I just just put a little cloth over that weenie dog, right? That way God can't see what it is that I'm doing. And we have to treat God's name as holy because when we start to throw his name out in casual conversation, it literally ends up as being the butt of a joke or as part of a curse word somewhere down the line. And, And the Sabbath is not about a day uh, when you read what God told Moses, it's really about remembering God and what he did. God created everything in six days. Uh, the Sabbath is about remembering that God is the only uncreated thing in existence. So there's a guy, a, a theologian, an old, older, older guy. I guess he's been gone for a while now. Uh, sometimes I give away my age when I'm speaking. Um, but he wrote a book called The Idea of the Holy. His name was Rudolf Otto. And uh, in that book, he struggled to define holiness. What is holiness? How do, we even, how do we even talk about the word intelligently when we talk about holiness and we talk about God? And, and so he, he actually ended up in the book going back to, 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 to weird Latin words and to, to words, what, what they meant in their original language. And so he went back to words like awful. I mean, we like to sing about our God is an awesome God, right? He reigns. He said, we're well, really, if you, if you think about it, we, we should really be singing something like our God is an awful God because he overwhelms. Um, Otto said that God was awful in the original sense of the word because he inspired us to be full of all. You know, later in the, in the book of uh, Exodus, uh, Moses asked to see the glory of God. It's down in Exodus 33. And God says, God agrees to this. Even though no one, even on the mountain there when he gives the Ten Commandments, Moses doesn't really see the glory of God because there's all this smoke and and thunder of lightning up there. And it literally says it was was dark up there when Moses went up there. He, He hasn't seen the glory of God. And later he asks, he says, God, can I see your glory? And God says, well, kind of. He says, I'll put you in a cave and I'll put my hand over you and I'll walk by. And as I get past you, when I get far enough past you, he says, I'll lift my hand off and you can see the back of me. Because that's going to be all that you can handle. And then in a, further on in Hebrew history, the prophet Isaiah, he's in the temple and he's praying. And uh, uh, he has a vision of the glory of God. He hasn't asked to see the glory of God, but God gives him. He's, in his vision, he's transported up into heaven somewhere. And in this, this vision, he's there in the, in, the, in the sanctuary, in the temple of the Lord. And the, the angels are flying around and they're covering their face with some of their wings and, and uh, covering their feet with some of their other wings. And they're flying around and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty, and He's absolutely overwhelmed in the sense that, that Rudolf Otto talks about. There, God was 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 awful in that sense. It caused Him to be full of all. He's he's so overwhelmed. Some of the His response, then, in, in some translations, is "I am ruined." I am ruined. And the ESV reads, "I am lost." But I really think the best translation there is in the Message. In the Message translation, it puts the words of Isaiah as. I am a dead man, because that's what he means in those, pers- in those verses. He's not saying, I am ruined in the sense, God, this is totally going to ruin all of the worship that I'm going to do back there when I get home. And he's not saying, I am lost, like he would say, I'm, God, I'm just, I'm so lost in the presence of God that while we were there in the holy temple. That's not what he's saying. He said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in a people who are unclean lips. He says, I'm a sinner. And I am a dead man for being here in the presence of God. You know, in Numbers 20, just to kind of put one last thing about holiness in here, in Numbers 20, where is the story later on, before after the most of the 40 years are over and they're about to go in and they're about to conquer Canaan, um, uh, they run out of water at Kadesh. And the people come to Moses, and they complain like they did. And, and then uh, Moses goes to God, and God says, uh, uh, take your staff and go out there, and I want, you to, I want you to speak to this rock, and I will provide water out of that rock. And they'd, they'd done this once before where, where Moses had gone out, and God had had him strike the rock with his staff, and, and he was supposed to take the staff with him, but he was just supposed to speak to the rock. So the rock would, would bring forth the water. Instead, Moses struck it with his staff again, and, and God was faithful. He delivered the water, and the, and the people were saved. And, uh, but he told Moses, he said, because of this, he says, you will not enter into the promised land. Because I wanted to display my power? No. The text there says, I wanted to display my holiness, to these people. And you blocked that. You obstructed that. So these, these, these four commandments really set up the rest of the 10. Because once God is in his rightful place in our lives, once he is genuinely God in the sense that he is supposed to be God in our lives, then it just makes sense that he's going to be able to set boundaries for our relationships with the people around us. And that kind of brings us to the second big idea, and that's because of God is who he is, that he can dictate to us how we can and can't treat the people around us. And and that's this moral code, that's this moral thing that we we were talking about here, and God gets to do that. Because if other gods exist, folks, if other gods are real out there, if there's an option there, then other moral codes exist. Think about that for a second. Um, I mean, most of us are familiar with the Marvel movies. What do you guys think would be the moral code of the God of Thunder? Thor. Think about that for a second. I mean, he loves to drink. He loves to fight. He's looking for love, right? But according to his parents, he's looking in all the wrong places. His dad's exhortation is... You know, son, just stay within your species. Stay within your species if you're looking for love. Which, by the way, if you're a single person out there, let me just give you the same advice. Stay within your species. But, but he struggles at times knowing what the right thing is. He doesn't always know what the right thing is. Um, and so let me, let me give you some homework. And this is real homework. This is not just preacher stuff. So I want you to think about that this afternoon. And I want you to, to think, what would Thor's list of commandments be? Now, he's a little bit simple. He may not have 10. He probably doesn't have 10. 10 is a lot. But what do you think Thor's commandments would be? Go home. I want you to think about that. I want you to jot those down. And, and I want you to email those back to Cody. So it's Cody at RedeemerWF.com. Email him what you think are going to be Thor's list of commandments for the God of thunder. And and online, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube this morning, email those back in. His email address is on the website. If you're here this morning, Cody's email address is on the back of the bulletin. Because I can tell you that somewhere down the road, Cody is going to be talking about the nature of God and what we believe about God. And he's going to be able to pull out these and say, let's just talk about options that are out there. You guys, This is what you guys thought Thor's moral code would be like. Now, that'll be awesome. He'll use that somewhere down the road. Because, guys, if we don't have to treat God as holy, he is, if he's not the sole creator of our existence, and I have other options available to me. I can define my own morality. And atheists get this. Atheists get this. That's why the, one of the reasons why God is such a big deal for them. God sets boundaries on their life because if he is real, they know those boundaries are real, and they don't want those things. But if God is in his rightful place, then there is a reason why I can't murder my neighbor or steal his wife or steal his stuff or lie about him in court and why I should honor my parents. You know, there's lots of places where it, it, it sums up the, the law, the commandments are kind of summed up. But Jesus summed it up this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Love him with everything, literally everything you've got. And, and then the weird thing about this is that if I give all of my love to God in this way, if I exhaust my love in loving God, I don't run out of love. It actually creates more space for love in my life. Because when I, when I think about my time, you know, in my calendar, if I, if I commit all of my time to something, I run out of time. I can say to somebody, yeah, I can't meet with you this week. I'm all booked up. I have appointments all through my week. I'm done. If I give all of my energy to something, which is, which is more and more apparent now that I've entered this grandparent stage, I can say to somebody, you know, I, I've, I've expended all of my energy. I don't have any more energy to give at this particular point. I'm done. I have pushed the done button. But if I give all of my love to God, if I really love God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength, then suddenly I have the capacity to love my neighbor in the way that I need to love my neighbor. And these commandments have to flow from the top down. You can't start, You have to start with number one and go down to number 10. You can't start at 10 because we're not going to be able to, to start. Well, let me just start with something easy. Let me start with not coveting my neighbor's car. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get with this. I'm going to work my way back up to number one because we're never going to be able to work, reverse work, reverse engineer this and start with something easy and get back to worshiping God. And, and part of the reason for this is, uh, folks, is that we 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 fail. We're not even as good at these last six commandments as we hope that we are. You guys remember what Jesus said in in Matthew five about about the ten commandments? You know, Jesus Jesus did this this sermon series, and it's in matthew five and six and seven, and and we call it the Mount. You know, it was a great series, um, and. Uh, it it was really revolutionary for his day. Uh, But he was talking about the commandments there in Matthew 5. And he he said that that, uh, you can break these commandments in ways that you're probably not thinking about. He said, you know, you all know, you've all heard it said, don't commit murder. But he says, I'm telling you, if you hate somebody enough in your heart that you hope bad things happen to them, you've broken this commandment. You all know, he says, everybody knows you're not supposed to commit adultery. But he says, if you've you've thought about that, if you pictured what that would be like, he said, you've already broken this commandment. And we can deceive ourselves about how well we're doing. You know, Jesus has an encounter with this guy that we call the rich young ruler in Luke 18. And I'm just going to read that to you. So in Luke 18, it says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Guys, this, is, this guy is us. This guy is us. He is moral. He believes in God. He wants to spend eternity with God. And he thinks that he is basically okay. I mean, there are terrible people out there, but he doesn't think that he's one of them. Um. But look what Jesus says to him. No one is good. No one is good. We aren't good if we keep the Ten Commandments, and we aren't good if we don't keep the Ten Commandments. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus listed five of the ten, and, of course, he was just kind of throwing some things out, summary he was putting in front of him, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't list any of the ones that pertain to God. Nothing about the first four And this should have been a red flag, I would think, for the young guy, because, you know, if you're a decent person by any community standards, you haven't murdered anybody, and you haven't robbed a bank, and you haven't lied in court, and you might even have a good relationship with your parents. But Jesus didn't even raise the issue of whether this rich guy had coveted something that he didn't yet own. And he didn't mention that this young guy, he could have broken these commandments By in his heart, by hating or lusting, Jesus went straight to the issue. What God do you really worship? And let's find out. He said, go and sell all your bright and shiny stuff and give it to the poor. And the text says that the young guy went away sad. He went away sad because he had a lot of stuff, and he loved his stuff. And he couldn't part with it because that's how it works that's how life works because what we love the most what we love the most is really what we worship in our life that's really that's really what our god is and and because this this young man grew up rich and we know that he grew up rich because riches in those days was land and animals and you just didn't suddenly come into land and animals he grew up rich and the sad thing is is that he had actually probably broken this commandment from his youth, although in his heart he believed that he had kept them all and that he was doing great. And so when he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life, what he really meant was, what what else do I need to do to earn eternal life? What else is there? out? I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I, I, uh, I do good things, and, and I, 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 I believe in God. But is there something else, Jesus, I can add to what I'm already doing because I really just want to make sure that I've earned this. But, you know, when you think about these Ten Commandments, you just think about the sequence of what's going on here. God doesn't give Israel the Ten Commandments to see if they can be good enough to see if he's going to redeem them. He redeemed them. He brought them out of Egypt. And then he gave them the Ten Commandments. So last big idea I want to talk about this morning is is, is that there's, there's this gap. There's this gap between us and God that has to be bridged if we really want to gain true access to eternal life. And I think when we read the book of Exodus, and I think that's one of the great things about the book of Exodus, Cody, is that it really does show us this gap between who we are and and who God is. And, you know, context is key to interpretation. So if you have your Bibles this morning and you're reading your text out of your Bibles, I'm going to back up a little bit into Exodus 19. And I'm going to just read verses 20 and 21 out of Exodus 19. And so this is before, this is right before they're going to get the Ten Commandments. It says, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain, And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And so when you, when you go back and you look at that story, God had, had basically said to Moses that because I'm going to be on this mountain, this whole mountain is holy now. In fact, I want, you to, I want you to build a barricade around it, and nothing is allowed to come on the mountain. Nothing is allowed to touch the mountain. In fact, if one of your cows strays up on the mountain, he said you're going to have to kill the cow because the mountain has now become holy. And so then God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. So let's, let's pick up in verse 18 right after where where Cody stopped reading. It says, now when when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, and so that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And and, and the key idea that we get from this is that Israel had no direct access to God. They weren't allowed, they didn't have the privilege of having direct access to God. Even if they had kept all of the commandments, they weren't allowed there. They weren't allowed on the mountain. The the Ten Commandments were not given to restore the Garden of Eden where they they walked with God side by side. And and keeping the commandments didn't resolve this issue or close the gap that was caused by the brokenness of our sin. It's important to notice here that once Israel saw the true awfulness of Of God and the fire and the thunder and the smoke and the darkness, they didn't even want this gap to be bridged. They didn't want to be in the presence of God. You go, Moses, because this God is too terrible. I mean In just recent history, he's killed all of the firstborn in Egypt. And when the Egyptian army came after us, he killed everyone in the Egyptian army. And now he has threatened to kill us if we touch this mountain. And that last phrase is key there. It says, the people remain standing at a distance as Moses approached. The Ten Commandments don't bring us any closer to God. They just instruct us. On the holiness of God. You know, Cody's been pointing out. As we go through this text about the blood sacrifice. He talked about that with Abraham. And the sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac where God provided the ram. And he talked about it when we, when the Israelites were leaving. And that, that last plague of the death of the firstborn. They had to, to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their doors. So that the wrath of God passed over them. And, and, and folks, that's the best that was the best that God could do for them at that time was that the, to use the blood of an animal so that the wrath of him, his wrath would pass over them. It didn't fix the gap. It didn't close the gap. It didn't deal with our sinfulness. It was just a patch because this blood was not designed to close this because the blood of an animal was not enough. It was not enough to bring us into the presence of God. And Jesus comes to fulfill the law by actually bridging this gap. He actually closes this for the very first time since the Garden of Eden. This gap between us and God is closed because of what Jesus did by shedding his blood. And this blood is is not an animal's blood. It's his blood which is poured out for us on the cross. And this was an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. You know, when we read in Luke's gospel about the crucifixion, there's this very interesting part in the passage. So right about at the moment of Jesus' death, Luke says this in Luke 23. He says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And so it was dark for three hours before Jesus died, and that was a sign. But Luke says there was another sign there. And that sign was one that all of the Jews should have understood because the, the, the temple there, the curtain in the temple there that he's talking about, there was the was the curtain. It was the, the man-made wall between the rest of the temple where all the priests could be and that part of the temple which was the Holy of Holies, the place that only the high priest could go, that there was a curtain there that permanently blocked that, that said you cannot go in here because the presence of God is in here. And when, at the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, Luke says that temple, that curtain was torn into symbolically God saying, the way has been bridged. We now have access to God. So when Jesus dies, this curtain is torn. And shortly after that, God begins sending his Holy Spirit into his people. And that's what Acts 2 and Pentecost is all about. Now, someone might say, you know, this couldn't be a blood sacrifice because, you know, it was, it was an execution. It wasn't in the temple. It wasn't in the place where God said sacrifices had to be, and it wasn't done by a priest, and it wasn't done on the altar where God said the sacrifices had to be done. But I think the author of Hebrews writes something that I want to read to you that, that kind of helps us grasp this. So in Hebrews chapter 9, he writes, he says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, uh, then through the greater and more perfect tent, okay, think tabernacle there, the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, it's not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So the sacrifice of Jesus was not offered in an earthly temple. Um, It wasn't wasn't offered on an an altar that was down here uh, because the one down here, the author of Hebrews has told us earlier, that's just a copy. What we had down here was just a copy of the one that is in heaven. Um, And I can't explain the mechanics of this except to say that, that it was the right sacrifice offered in the right place and it bridged the gap between us and God. So what was broken in Eden by Adam was restored by Christ in Jerusalem on a hill that was nicknamed the skull that became a place of execution. So if Jesus bridged this gap, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you this morning? You know, when John wrote his gospel after he talked about all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus said, he got to the very end of that, and he said, you know, these things are written so that people may believe. And and, and what we're talking about today, we're talking about this today so that people might believe. Uh, Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that Jesus died on the cross as an atonement, okay, as a blood sacrifice for our sin. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead to seal the deal and to bridge that gap. You know, and if this message this morning has pierced your heart in any way, it's not because I am eloquent, because I know that I am not an eloquent speaker. That is the Holy Spirit who's pursuing you. And, and let me just say that as we close out here this morning, if this is, if this is true for you, if, if this has struck a chord in you, if, if you think that, that you understand that there is a, this gap between you and God and you want that gap to be closed and you want to know more about closing that gap, let me just say don't, don't leave this morning without talking to, to Cody or Davey, uh, Davis or Ryan or Lizzie or, or, or staff here. Uh, I'll be around. You can talk to me. And if you're online and watching this this morning, email. uh, Email one of the staff and say, hey, I want to know more about this. Because I can guarantee you if there's an email that Cody would love to get, it would be someone saying, hey, can you meet with me and tell me a little bit more about Jesus?